Hello and welcome to Point Streak, a podcast where we talk everything gaming and the issues that concern gamers. We're all members and contributors at Enthusiacs.com. Thank you for joining us. That's E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-C-S.com. You can reach us on Twitter, at Enthusiacs, and also our YouTube channel where all our video content resides, at Enthusiacs. Uh, my name's Jeff, or Baron Fang, your host, and my guests this week are our own Judge Greg. Welcome back. I am the law. <laughs> welcome, and uh, welcome back to Tony. Oh, hello. <laughs> um, well, uh, let's get it out of the way early. Uh, I know we'll have one short list and one long list, so we'll start with Greg. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what, have, what have you been playing lately, yeah. Greg? So I'm, I'm the short list. So uh, in the interest of the topic tonight, I, uh, I was playing, it's a game called Bureau Kendall Rising. Which is uh, it's an indie game that is only available, as far as I know, only available on the Xbox Live uh, indie market. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, it's uh, I, I don't know how to describe the game. It's it's kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm doing terrible here. It's it's kind of a half puzzle, quasi action, 3D. Um, it's a remake of of the first game they did in the Bureau series called I think it was bureau agent kendall but like this time they kind of like changed up the characters and now it's fully voiced and it wasn't before oh okay um, yeah but it's, it's done by uh, some indie studio who i really wish i had a name for you right now to probably give them a shout out because i'm sure they'd like love it but huh. uh it's just not coming to me right now so i'm terribly sorry whatever studio does bureau kendall <laughs> rising kendall. Uh, uh and and how about you, Tony? Uh, what's before I break out my my long list? I don't have my uh, my handy dandy Raptor report in front of me, but I just wanted to make sure that uh, that game you're talking about, Greg, that's not in any way related to the Bureau XCOM Declassified. Just no. the same name, right? No, right. no, no, just the same name. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um. So my list off the top of my head. Uh, still been playing Burnout Paradise. There's just way too much to do in that game to 100% it. So <laughs> like a month deep into that. Um. Also been playing. I'm seven thousand calories into Your Shape Fitness Evolved, so I'm almost at the ten thousand <laughs> mark. I'm happy with it. Anyway, uh, the Destiny beta, which I've really been enjoying, and uh, of course uh, XCOM on my phone whenever I'm not at home and don't have a console in front of me. So no indie games. But <laughs> well, um, I've been play I've been not playing the Destiny beta despite getting a key uh, because and it going free. Yeah, <laughs> because I don't have a gold account and uh, you can't apparently you can't use trials on a 360. You've got to have a full version. So no sooner than I had the damn thing installed um, than uh, th then I realized I was uh, screwed. So um, and I've also been playing Gone Home, which Greg recommended to me. Uh, quite quite enjoying that. I can't again. I can't remember the name of the studio that, do that does that one, but and I'm only about an hour and a half in, which is probably most of the way through like the game. Three quarters of the way through. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a short game, but like I do recommend it, and it's also on topic. Right. Uh, you, as long as we're throwing out names, though, uh, yeah. I did look up for Bureau Kendall Rising. It's Twisted Games. Ah, uh, okay. So right. Twisted Games. Sorry, guys. That's I'm assuming right. they're listening. That's all right. To this, like all other point streaks that they listen to. <laughs> right. Well, uh, the, look, the Gone Home and uh, Bureau series uh, are an excellent segue into our main topic, which is indie games. Um, it's one I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, as, as much as the uh, AAA is, is becoming a buzzword for <laughs> bad games or repetitive games or uh, unimaginative games, uh, indie games are getting banded around a lot as, uh, as a savior by some and, and just um, 
you know, worth looking at by, by others. I thought I'd start off by trying to define indie games, which is, I don't, I don't think there is a definitely agreed definition, but I'll give it a shot. Um, now, first of all, I'm going to rule out your valves. Uh, now, I realize that Valve are not owned by a publisher. Um, and, you know, at one time in the distant past, Valve would have been quite small, modestly sized. And I think they probably would have been fit, fit into the category of indie because they, you know, they may have only had a few dozen employees, relatively small budgets. Um, I'm talking about uh, indie in the smaller sense, at least in terms of the company. So what defines an indie game? Well, to me, lower budgets, generally speaking, um, that can sometimes include crowdfunded, although as we'll get to later, uh, crowdfunded doesn't necessarily mean low budget. Sometimes it can mean huge budget. Um, no AAA publisher involved, generally speaking, is, is, a, is a pretty good rule. Although sometimes, uh, you know, later on, games get published by a AAA publisher. Um, sometimes lesser or more basic graphics are a hallmark of indie games, although obviously not all the time. There's a lot of indie games out there that look amazing for the budgets that they have and reusing existing tools that are out there. Smaller in scope, I'd say, is a, is a fairly, you know, uh, common trait. Uh, it, um, you know, the game doesn't try to be everything to everyone, and they don't tend to shoehorn <laughs> multiplayer <laughs> in, into indie games a lot when it, where it doesn't belong. Generally less expensive, and I think one of the things that I like most about them is there's a lot more risk-taking. Weird games, games that haven't been done before, new takes on things... Uh, reimagining things. I mean, um, does that, if I, Greg, have I hit on most of the things that you would say define an indie game or an, an indie company, I suppose? Uh, or, is, or is there more to it than just that? Yeah, Jeff, I think you hit what I would have covered, and then you maybe hit about 13 other things that I would have <laughs> thought to say. Yeah. Um, how about you, Tony? Does that, like, is that, is there, is there something there that I'm, that I'm missing? Or, is, like, not some people would just say not triple a equals indie i i think it's there's a bit more to it than that is is there is there something else to the definition beyond just size scope money yeah i think uh i mean i don't in your list i wasn't sure if you said small development team in and of itself right. um, yeah you know, I, like that, it's, I know that yeah i mean that you know i believe that game no man's sky that everyone's looking forward to is made by a three-person team so and it looks graphically it looks amazing so there's that but otherwise uh yeah, I would say so. I know me personally, I always thought of indie game. It, it's a flawed reasoning, kind of like you said, but yeah. it's something that didn't have a, a major publisher attached to it. But as you said, that doesn't really mean much. Even Bethesda, well, they own their own publishing studio, I guess. Right. I think it's Bethesda's. No, Bethesda Softworks is the developer. Yeah. I guess just Bethesda is the publisher. But and so that that was always my kind of defining uh, word or term, I guess. You know terminology but again it's, it's flawed so mm. otherwise yeah i think everything you you said kind of hit the nail on the head well going back as we are wont to do on point streak <laughs> going going back um I, I don't know whether you would have ever encountered i mean you're a lot younger than greg or i tony so you, I, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't but going way back there was a concept called shareware i'm sure greg you encountered this back in the day oh yeah share Shareware was a model whereby, uh, and now look, I'm not going to suggest that shareware was only done by independent or small companies because there were some very, as we'll get to a bit later, there were some very successful, relatively uh, big shareware games. Um, but it was a way in which companies could get their game out there 
often um, I'm trying to think of a uh, Commander Keen. I think was a good example, Greg. I don't know if you remember yeah. that one back in the day. They would give you the first yes. bit free, mm-hmm. basically, and then uh, you would get to a screen eventually <laughs> where yeah. how to buy the game uh, d- details or uh, you, you, well, I mean, I can remember shareware existing pre internet at least for me uh well, like I, alien. I remember either if you go to a computer trade show yeah they, they would just have the discs of shareware out there and you just have to like pay for the cost of the disc yeah um and then now let's let's go really it's it's when we get on the show together jeff it always kind of turns into the remember the old times yeah that's where we're from but <laughs> if you remember the bulletin board services you could dial into those and yeah. download over your 14 4 modem all the yep. the sharewares that people had posted and yeah. that's where they came but yeah you got commander keen uh, i think wolfenstein had one i know doomed yeah. it doomed definitely. uh uh Duke Nukem had one. Yeah. Quake. Um, I played the Heretic one. Yeah. I, it, not that I really mean to pit id Software and 3D Realms every time, but those are the big <laughs> ones that I yeah. remember from my childhood using shareware. And yeah. you know, when you can't afford the game and you just want to, you know, to play something new, shareware was the way to go. Yeah, and look, it, I I think part of the reason it was so popular was because it was a way to get your name out there, allow people to test out the game, so to speak. Uh, you know, pre internet. Um, demos, you know, you weren't you weren't going to be able to ha- download demos and stuff like you were today, or you know, and yes, word of mouth was popular back then. It was a way to get your game out there without having to necessarily involve a big publisher. Sometimes they did. Um, Ooh, or Jeff, they would come in like the the magazines with yeah, the they'd have that CD with like thirteen of them on there. Yeah, yeah. Old- guess the guess the point I'm making is that there have been ways before now to get your name out there as a smaller game or to to you know not have to have it advertised everywhere not have to have it on the store store shelves necessarily but um so look the the concept of of games being published independently or in different ways goes back a lot further than steam and digital delivery but it's been around quite a while i'm just wondering like back in the day i didn't really think of it in those terms of the triple a versus indie that sort of thing uh, even though it did exist to a point I'm just it feels like it's a lot more commonplace now than compared to before and I don't know whether it's the stagnation or just the fact that the likes of Steam and GOG etc are, are making them a lot easier and and the fact that a lot of these games are basically worth pocket change on sale or otherwise means that people are able to buy them on impulse now uh, you know, I, I kind of think of Steam at, in the same way that I do the candy selection next to the checkout uh, when when you go to the average con- convenience store. Like, it's sometimes it's just hard to resist what's sitting there, you know? Um, it's called self-control, Jeff. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, thank you. Thank you, Greg. I was going to say <laughs> But it's harder when, you know, the, the, the damn thing's like $1, $2. Um, so I, I can understand why the, the model is as popular as it is. I would just just in terms of an example of how prevalent it is, well, look, number one, Steam has got a separate tab, a genre tab for indie now. <laughs> uh, which, and you can see, the, you know, the top 10 most popular. Gar- believe it or not, Gary's Mod is still well near the top of that list. And that game's been out for years. Um, my, I was just going through my list, and I've got at least 10, arguably 12 on my list, another seven or eight on my wish list that are definitely indie games of, you know, the 40 or 50 that I've got. Um, and, you know, going back... Five years ago, I probably would have had maybe one or two. Um, is it are the, are they more commonplace? And is it just the price? Is it the what do you think it is, Greg? Is it just that they're 
it's just easier to get them to the customers now? Is it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jeff, if you remember, sort of like back in the day, we we didn't really distinguish too much between indie and the AAA because honestly, from our perspective, being that young, we didn't you know we didn't know there wasn't a whole lot of inside baseball going on in the video right. game industry. But you know, anymore, if you wanted to make an indie game, like in those days you needed to get discs pressed and you needed to get some distribution level yes yeah and you had to there was no other way other than maybe hoping that you know a couple of of bbs's would be out there and try to get you at least some sort of following but yeah now that you have digital distribution now i mean there's a very significant cost Mm -hmm. is eliminated completely for these studios and you can get it directly to customers and in some cases for the detriment of the overall quality but yeah i'm sure that's a topic for later and i won't jump the gun yeah and uh and tony i mean you can say what you want about my (laughs) self-control but uh it is 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 part is part of it just the fact that they're so you know what's i mean what's the average u.s dollar term 60 bucks for a new right game for yeah if there's uh enough content there some publishers realize that uh, a game might not be worth it so they only charge 40 or 30 dollars thinking of like the metal gear ground zeros but yeah essentially that's yeah yeah and i've never seen i've never seen anything that i would consider to be a true indie title for any more than about 20 and more often 15, 10 or, or sometimes five. Um, so yeah. And, and look, I'm sure that part of the reason they can getting, get away with, with charging that little little is just the fact that they haven't got a 20, $30 million budget to make back. Right. Um, right. Well, and when what Greg said, as far as actually pressing the discs and every, you know, all yeah. that as well. So, you know, there's all of those, you know, costs that you don't have to consider anymore. So it just makes the delivery easier and cheaper. Yeah. Well, it, and second question for you, Tony. Greg, Greg, you mentioned that you know going going back, way back, we we didn't really make the distinction. And I would I don't know this for a fact, but I would dare say the gap between independent game budgets and AAA budgets was probably a lot closer back then. Now the gulf probably has gotten yeah. a lot wider. You know, game games like you know, Tomb Raider that it can apparently sell millions of copies and still not be six quote unquote successful enough. Like for you, Tony, did. Did you used to make the distinction, or did one day just be, it became fashionable and people started calling it indie when it had already existed all along? It, no, well, I mean, my young days, I never knew of anything called shareware and all this. I do remember the discs <laughs> being sent out with magazines. But, so um, you remember well, magazines? Yeah, well, the original Game Informer. I remember having. I remember being excited to get my uh, Game Informer subscription every uh, every month or whatever. And I, I think those even came with uh, discs for PlayStation. I think that had demos on them, but. Uh, Again, those were most of those were triple A titles like Dex, the Gecko, and that sort of thing. They might have had what you consider indie titles, but I never, you know, I never really thought of the developers and what went behind making a game until you know just a few years ago, really, that I started getting interested in the industry. So no, I never really even knew indie, uh, you know, indie as a term really existed back then. So I I tend to think that the reason that that people are so knowledgeable about the behind the scenes stuff of the injury industry these days is just is just related to the amount of money that and information that and we inf- have well that too yeah. yeah but back in the day when games were you know before games surpassed movies in terms of raw revenue you know if there was some idiot named cliff blazinski who was saying a lot of controversial stuff he was you know a, a, an annoying fish in a small pond you know now the the attention is is there and it's and the, and people are a lot i mean back in the day i didn't know how much a game cost to make i didn't hear them saying this game costs 10 million 20 million 30 million so um 
with with the the success that video games have had as a whole, I, I think that that's part of the reason that these different models are a lot more. Um, your, your average gamer is a lot more knowledge about the knowledgeable about this stuff than I would have ever thought it would have been necessary. Yeah, um, uh, Jeff, I was actually I was talking to uh, one of my my insider friends. Mm. I won't name drop because that's tacky. <laughs> Probably no one's heard of him either, and then I'm going to look like a giant fool. But I was talking to one of my insider friends, and he said one of the reasons why we're seeing such an influx of like the indie label is that the uh, the whole idea of like the middleware guys, like the guys who aren't quite the three people in their garage, but aren't quite the AAA studio with a 100-man team, mm-hmm. those titles have uh, dropped significantly in the last decade, whereas you used to have a lot of middleware games, and so there was a giant spectrum of budgets out there, so people wouldn't notice the gap as much. Right. Whereas now that middleware has started to peter away, mm-hmm. and you get so very little of it, people are now much more aware of the the difference between the smaller studios and the bigger studios, because there's yeah. there's just that gap there where you don't see a whole lot of it in between. Yeah, and I, I, I some of the studio rationalization in terms of studios merging you know and the big getting bigger and so on and so forth create create a bigger gap as well um well look there's obviously a lot of advantages for the consumer i've gone on about a bit how you know tempting these sales and things can be but there's there's got to be advantages for the developer as well obviously it wouldn't be as you know prevalent if there wasn't um i believe it was the the guy responsible for creating the uh heading up the bioshock um series who who basically abandoned it to to downsize more or less? I, I I I'm not sure if you remember the story a bit better, Tony. But like, did, he, he was, it sounded yeah, like he was, was bemoaning uh, working in a in big teams and wanted to get back to something a little more. That's the manageable. story. That's the story. You can believe it if you want. I think that's maybe you know that could be a whole <laughs> other topic for another podcast. But yeah, that's what he said. He wanted to focus on smaller teams to make more uh, specialized games. Is I think what he said. Yeah. So, yeah, but again, that's what that's what was said. That you know, uh, I, but I won't go down that road. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Greg, you've you've worked in software development and you've worked yes. in some what I th- I mean smaller teams. I mean. Yes. The advantage is you've got a less complicated vision, f- fewer fewer masters. I mean, just basic terms. What's the clear? Right. What, what mean, are the clear advantages? Basically, of the, smaller the way team? it comes down to is that you you lose a lot of the bureaucracy, mm. which a bureaucracy is is why games cost so much these days. Because you know, if you want to, like, let's say I was working on on one of our products and I had a question for a developer. Now, on one of these large scale teams. You know, the de- I'm probably if I'm working on on this particular thing for quality assurance. Yeah, the developers are probably not even in the same building if they're even in the same state I'm in. So I have to write up reports and I have to send out requests and it has to go through channels and it has to be brought up at a department head meeting and whatnot. Whereas when you work on a small team and I got a question for the developer, I turn and I walk 20 feet to my left and I yeah. say like, "Hey, Dave, I have a question for you about this." Yeah, and so you have a whole lot of freedom there and. And in some cases, like, and I've worked on a project like this where you can adjust the scope or sort of change what you're doing on the fly without having to answer to your investors. Right. Um, 
or in some cases, if you're small and you do have investors, because that does happen, people think it's all out of pocket, but some of these guys do get investors, you at least have a lot more leeway than yeah. if you're talking to EA, who's got shareholders and they have margins they got to make. And, yeah. and, you know, that's why they're so hardcore about like your budget. Whereas yeah. if you're smaller, you can just go to your investor who might be one or two people and be like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm pushing it out. Uh, it's not going to affect my budget. Here's how we're going to change this. And it's, you know, it's fine. It's cool. They're, they're probably people that you have more ready access to. But yeah. you add the level of bureaucracy and then you add extra costs yeah. and extra delays. And you still have to market a game, obviously, but you don't have to yeah. worry about a marketing department that's trying to justify itself by coming up with all these ridiculous ways to interfere well, with the creative vision. <laughs> I, I, I will say there, Jeff, without going into too much detail, that one of my uh, one of a game that does have my name on it somewhere uh, did not get much in the way of marketing. And <laughs> it was specifically designed to be sort of word of mouth marketed. Yeah. And I think it has sold eight copies to date. Oh, wow. So you do need marketing. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I will I will say that. Like I, I agree. I just, uh, it's annoying when at times it's obvious that there's been some right. genius that has been tinkering with, <laughs> yeah. with, with the game because they think it's going to sell better. Which um, also brings me to another point. Uh, kids out there listening, you want to, you know, get into this sort of thing, get paid up front. <laughs> don't ask for money afterwards. You Pro get tip. paid up front. If you're good at what you do, don't do it for free. And especially if you're starting a Kickstarter, make sure you've got most of that stuff done beforehand before you start asking for money. Is from what I've heard from people that have started Kickstarted projects. But anyway. <laughs> well, uh, something a little lighter. Um, just some favorite indie titles. I mean, for me, um, if, if look, I'm going to stick with the last few years because I could go on about this all day. But like for me, I got three big standouts for indie games. Faster Than Light, FTL, just amazing game. Um, I, I didn't really know much about the roguelike sort of genre, much less the, a space-based roguelike genre, but I've sunk hundreds of hours into this game. It's got a soundtrack that, despite its simplicity, is is better than a lot of AAA titles. Uh, e even if, as I say, it's, you know, fairly small in scope, it doesn't involve, uh, you know, orchestras and all that, it, but it's still a, a great soundtrack. A tremendously fun game, five bucks. Um, the Swapper, another one, I think I got that as a gift, an, an amazing sort of puzzle game. I think I may even have mentioned that on a, on a previous podcast. Uh, you know, best sort of puzzle platformer I played in, in, in years in very strange atmospheric. Gunpoint, another one, I think that was five bucks. You know, a couple of hours at most, but amazing fun and, and a just type of game, you know, that stealth stealth redux if you want to call it that gameplay that i've never seen done another way what what are some favorites for you greg i know we brought up gone home yeah gone home is one uh one that i can't talk enough about is papers please oh yeah uh i uh you know i was listening to this and i'm not going to plug another podcast but i heard another podcast talking about it mm. and they were just raving about this game and like it's going to look terrible just trust me play it you'll love it and I, you know, so I did. I gave it a shot. It was ten dollars on Steam, and I ended up buying it on Good Old Games as well. And uh, it's it's a phenomenal game. Looks like an eight bit Nintendo game, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's fun. And I I think that was one of my personal favorites. Uh, my brother recently he had a birthday, and he asked he asked like for a game, and he's like, oh, I just trust your judgment. But I was kind of looking at Wolfenstein. Yeah. Now him saying he trusts my judgment, that's that's like if you ask a wine connoisseur. 
like, oh, I trust your judgment. Just get me any wine. But like you drink a box of wine, <laughs> like the connoisseurs going to look at you like, really? Like that's kind of me and my brother with video games. So I got him. I got him his precious Wolfenstein and I tossed in papers, please. And I just heard from him. He was like, wow, this papers, please game is great. I'm like, yeah, imagine that. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, papers, please is probably the big one that needs to get mentioned here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about you, Tony? I know I know you're an Xbox aficionado and you may have uh, have you dabbled a few times into some of the indie sort of t- titles that are available there on the live marketplace. I know you and I both played Deadlight and that's a game that's kind of on the borderline of what I consider indie and that tequila studios are quite small, but then Microsoft um, published it in indirectly. So small team, small creative vision, neat kind of small game, but I don't know whether that one counts or not. Is there any others that come to mind for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I should, you know, preface this by saying maybe some of the ones I do name, I'd say, I kind of question whether or not they really fall into any title because as you mm. said, I'm an Xbox guy. So, yeah. I mean, really you could say if it's on Xbox, that means Microsoft published it. <laughs> but I think when we, when we say publishers, we really mean, you know, the big ones like Activision, yeah. EA and that sort of thing. But anyway, I mean, obviously the big one is Minecraft. I think we can all agree that that's indie, oh, no matter who yeah, yeah. publishes it. I had, it was an addiction. I had to tear myself away from it and I haven't <laughs> picked it up and, a long time, even though I said this game looks dumb, it looks stupid. I don't know how anyone plays it, but it just completely caught me off guard. Uh, beyond that, you did mention uh, Deadlight. I'm just kind of quickly scrolling through my games here on this uh, website. Uh, there's a game actually called Sanctum 2, I guess what you could call an indie game. It's kind of a tower defense first-person shooter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that on Steam. Yeah, that's yeah. It's very interesting at the same time, very difficult, so I didn't put a whole lot into it because my you know i didn't want to risk breaking another controller uh, <laughs> That's right. uh yeah other than let me quickly scrolling through here da, 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 da. those are i mean minecraft is definitely the big one again dead away uh yeah i'll leave it at that so i don't have uh, i guess a whole lot of experience or i yeah. dabble too much into it but it's not to say that i wouldn't i i avoid them like the plague it's just it's I mean, I'm sure it, um, I mean, I don't look at the Xbox one as, as often as I do Steam, but they don't seem to have nearly as many sales or at least as they've been getting better, though. They have huh. a sale. They have a sale every week now, um, which usually includes DLC and games. It's just it, it, it'll never be on par with Steam, but hmm. usually you can pick up good games for five bucks. Like I just picked up Deus Ex not too long ago for five bucks. So, yeah, um, anytime there's a big game like that for five bucks, I'll usually snag it. So, yeah. Well, one of the points I wanted to tag on to us talking about our favorite indie titles is, and I I think I can say this with a fairly high degree of certainty, the one thing that all those games we talked about tend to have in common is that would any of those games have ever got published through the standard channels, really? Would anyone have given them a chance, given how strange, unusual, weird, like, papers, please, forget it. You're yeah, gonna... no, you'd get, you'd get laughed out of a AAA office. Uh, you so... walk in there and say, hey, take a look at this game. Yeah, Gunpoint, no way. FTL, I mean, FTL would have ended up being a super polished up, ruined version of the fun, simple game that it is if, if a big publisher had gotten their heads on it. Even, uh, Tony, uh, even Deadlight, I mean, they... they uh, you know, a, a small story, three chapters. I, I think more or less. You really, you think that would have got a chance? If, if not, if uh, no, other... not 
not in the way it stands now. It probably yeah. would have been turned into a first or third person shooter with Co-op zombies, mode. and it would have yeah, and it would have become <laughs> it would have become a vanilla, you know, copy of every other game. It's the fact that it was a side scroller that kind of made it interesting. It was a small scope. It was a st- the story that they wanted to tell, an unusual story. It's hard to believe that it would have uh, survived in the form that it did anywhere else. And I guess that's the point I was trying to make: is the these games are all games that have got a chance purely because you know they're developed by small companies that can take these risks and you know i mean minecraft uh that's another one i don't think that would have ever been greenlit by a big publisher and look at it now it's like one of the most <laughs> isn't it one of the best selling games of all it, time they can't stop selling copies yeah. i mean it, it it continues to be on the, the charts of top you know selling games i think just recently even in the uk it was like number four on the ps3 or something like that yeah. So, yeah, it just it won't stop snowing. That's not to say that every once in a while you don't get a really strange, bizarre concept game go big. But, like, you know, people wouldn't have had a chance to play a lot of these games if, if uh, they had re- had to rely on old models to get their name out there to publish them. Um, so I, I guess this kind of answers my next question. I, part, part, I think part of the reason that people like these games is that they, they're unusual. They take chances. They're different. Some people would probably argue that a lot of the reason they get as much attention as they are is just because they're cheap. Uh, is it a bit of both, Greg? Or <laughs> uh, I think it is a bit of both. I mean, a lot of it is there's not a lot of risk on the consumer's part. You, right. It's not a $60 game. I mean, that's a significant investment. Even yeah. for those of us who are now adults with jobs, $60 is, is still a pretty big investment for the, well, maybe I'll like it. Yeah. So that's a huge part of it. And then I, I think maybe the other part of it is that these sales come so much that we can just grab them. And yeah, they're they're available now. Now that we have like actual places to go and look for this sort of thing, you you get a lot more foot traffic than you normally would. Yeah. I mean, Tony, you you you've you play some big budget titles and you're a fan of some big budget series. Do you ever go out there and just like on a whim buy a fifty sixty dollar game? Like uh, I used to. <laughs> I've been like I said when I've gotten more involved i guess in the industry or maybe not involved but more knowledgeable of it i i've stopped doing that i've stopped pre-ordering games and that sort of thing but yeah i, I used to when i was a, a, a kid or maybe just starting out with a job and hey now i can buy my own games and hey i really regret that decision now but you know i can sell it <laughs> back to gamestop for you know 20 cents so yeah. that's that's a good return but anyway yeah, yeah and obviously you can't sell these indie little steam indie and gog indie titles back but like Greg said, you know, a lot. It's a lot easier to take a chance on a five or ten dollar game. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly when it becomes, you know, that's another thing I like about Steam is that it tells you this is how many of your friends on this game, you know, and whether they recommend them and that sort of stuff. So it makes it even easier. Um, something I wanted to mention before, just uh, with regards to to Deadlight, is that indie has become so much of a fad. <laughs> That you now have some true AAA publishers dabbling in games that would be considered indie-like. I think a great example of one that's out now is Valiant Hearts. I don't know if either of you have seen is this. Is that one. the Great War? Yeah, it's a Great yeah. War. Valiant Hearts. Um, I could I couldn't believe this was an Ubisoft game. So I have to give them credit. I mean, how 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 a game like this would get green lit under normal circumstances. I just don't know. I, I can only assume that that is a concerted effort on the part of companies like Ubisoft to say, Oh, you know what? In addition to some of these huge titles, we can release these sort of smaller games every once in a while and, uh, and get a bit of, um, I don't know, <laughs> credibility for that. Um, doesn't that seem like cheating to you though? 
a little bit. You know, like if you're this giant trip A publisher, like there's almost no risk. It's trick or treater money for them. And now, I, listen, I the free market's great. You know, put the game out there, let the consumers decide what they like. Yeah. But you're screwing over the guy who's working in his garage, <laughs> just trying to make a living. Yeah. Well, that's saying, like, oh, we'll pretend like we have someone in a garage too. And, that well, that Beyond Hearts game could have been made by anybody. It just yeah. so happens it was made by Ubisoft. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I just you know wanted to add. I don't think Greg meant it, but it's not people just making a living too. It's people that really want to make these games. It's their vision. It's yeah. you know their passion. They really want to do this, and then it kind of it might get befuddled by the vision yeah. of uh, Ubisoft or whoever it may be. So mm-hmm. yeah, and look, I've I've got no. Pro- I'm I'm probably gonna get that Valiant Hearts game. It's just uh, I I look at that and and I'm there's a I, I'm a bit cynical and I look at that and go. Why is it, why is Ubisoft in being involved in making this? We know that this isn't what they care about. Is this just PR? <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that I kind of like about indie, uh, in addition to them just wanting to take risks, is that uh, we've got great games getting reboots, um, games that have been abandoned or given up on, um, like you know by big publishers. Uh, I think that Mighty Number no. Nine game that is uh, that you know. Would should should be a Mega Man title by all rights, but you know Capcom isn't interested in Mega Man anymore. So you've got the original creator doing something kind of close to that. You've got games. Haven't they made enough money just to buy the Mega Man title now? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean that brings up think... a whole other conversation, though. I mean, because there's legal right, legal rights involved with that, right? That's maybe a topic for something else. But wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't really Capcom own the rights to that IP? So I mean, how? They, they, this Mighty Number no. Nine game is, I think, different enough that uh, it, oh, that they're, right. they're going to get away with it. It's not a it's not a Mega Man game, but to anyone who likes Mega Man, it's a Mega it, Man game right, visibly, right. you know. But it's it's kind of crazy to me that such a popular you know uh, series with that many fans, the only juice it's getting is with <laughs> an independent Kickstarter release. Um, other examples like you know Le- Leisure Suit Larry. Um, I'm gonna. I've admitted before that I've played the, <laughs> the Leisure Suit Larry games back in the day. It got an, an independent reboot uh, a few years ago um, for you know for a fair price. And would would a AAA publisher have have touched that? Obviously not. If Obviously not. Gone, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, that's sorry. I go was on. just gonna. I was just gonna say no. That I don't know if you were alluding to this, but the fact that you know there's definitely titles out there that people want brought back but you know maybe yeah. companies feel like it's there's no there's they feel like there's no demand for it there's no reason to make it and now they're seeing otherwise and, and the people th- will pay they'll pay their own money before the game is made to see the light shine you know shown back on this franchise that, so, that is a great point because it's it not leads, necessarily a good thing at this point well yeah in exactly um that, that leads to a point i was going to make about you know they they might not think that there is a an interest in it but you know look at the elite series now Greg, I, I don't have any history with Elite. I, I gather that it goes way back to like 1984. I never heard of it before, to be honest, but apparently it was quite popular. It got one of the, you know, the most successful Kickstarters of all time. Like, how is it that a real big publisher didn't real didn't realize there was a market for an Elite game before that? Why did it have to be, you know, an independent uh, push on Kickstarter that it, that it got it done? Are they, I often wonder, are they just ignoring 
uh, the, the interest out there? Are they cynical? Are they not looking in the right places? Um, like, well, do, they, maybe, do they have blinders on? You know, I can think they're not psychic, Jeff. It's, mm. And I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for the corporations because I think the big corporations are kind of hurting the industry. But mm. at the same time, you know, we, we can look at this, this elite series and be like, look at all this, you know, all these people who are willing to give to it. How did you not know that? But if they had put up their Kickstarter and they got 47 cents, this yeah. would be a completely different story we'd be saying right now. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, on, to, to another, uh, on another point, like there are gamers working for these game companies. Some, somewhere in there, there are people like us, <laughs> you would hope, yeah. <laughs> that like these games. Why are they not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why, why don't they have their ear to the ground about this stuff, I wonder? I can understand the suits not understanding it, but there are real gamers out there right, at these but, companies. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, Jeff. I mean, let, let's look at Mighty Number no. 9. They've mm-hmm. made, I think, somewhere around $47 billion at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just about, yeah. If you were, like, when I first heard about it, I'm like, that's a good idea. I think they'll make their goal and they might double it. But now they're at this point where they're like, nah, honestly, I think it's like somewhere around $4 million, mm. like yep. in that neighborhood. I even, even me knowing that people want a new Mega Man game, I had no idea people wanted a new Mega Man game that badly. Yeah. I, I didn't know that Shaq was uh, was gonna get was gonna get funded either. And uh, well, I, that was obvious. You really should have known that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, he chose and, the right time to do that. <laughs> oh yeah, he definitely. Yeah, um, I love Shaq, so I'm okay. What <laughs> one thing I do have to give the the AAA publishers credit for is that sometimes they you know even late to the party do do the right thing and you know get behind games much like an independent film eventually finds a yeah. backer, you know like a Clay Entertainment with their Shank series. Uh, they were eventually published by Electronic Arts. They were an independent release that I guess had enough interest and uh sure enough now they're they're published by ea now what i don't like (laughs) is when companies like ea then turn around and do things like release a quote-unquote indie bundle (laughs) and getting crap (laughs) like they did about two years ago trying to claim that there's some like you know you know uh great supporter of of indie or that they're in any way indie when that is just laughable uh you know just using it as a buzzword to you know to 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 get it like hey look at us we're we're indeed no you're not <laughs> yeah it's 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 not a nice thing to do but at the same time like it is kind of nice to have a bundle where you can just kind of get all of those games in one place yeah yeah it's just, i guess we're just maybe saying call it something more honest yeah exa- exactly because we all know that you're not you're not indie and really the only the only game they're gonna get they're going to bet is a a sure bet you know like a shank which is was was popular enough that it, they must have they, they they must have done the math and decided it was worth uh, worth backing. Um, there is a dark side of indie games. It's coming out more and more. Um, anyone who follows uh, Jim Sterling and his weekly highlights of uh, the awful Greenlight or Early Access Steam game of the week yeah. see can see that uh, you know Greenlight Early Access cr- crowdfunding projects that have gone badly wrong. Um, I guess look. It, indie indie games are not uh, faultless. There's still human beings behind them, and there's some people that are pushing these games and selling these games that aren't being honest or aren't doing the right uh, quality control. I guess, Greg. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, I, not, again, I hate doing this because it always feels like we're the old guys telling people how it used to be. <laughs> but this is what crashed the game industry in the mid '80s. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, it's once it becomes so easy to get games out there and then everyone's doing it and it's all about the cash grab for like, oh, so you just make a quick game and you put it out there and people will pay you money just to play it before it's even done. And so you can have a game with no enemies and no guns, but you walk around in a circle, but you can still get your $20 and you have no obligation to finish it. Yeah. It's This was bound to happen. And I think I would hate to see it because I think indie games are good for the industry, but I think if we don't start policing that a little bit more or at least being more aware and stop encouraging it as much. Yeah. You're going to see another crash like there was in yeah. the 80s where, you know, everyone's going to go away and indie developing is no longer going to be the great beyond. Yeah. And you're going to end up having to deal with some of these companies going away and only the only some people will remain. Yeah, and I, and I think the Valves and the Gogs of this world have got to do a better job of like, you know, at, at least vetting <laughs> a game to a certain point before releasing it on, on their system uh, because it doesn't do it doesn't do them any good either it's bad pr for them when people are up in arms because a, you know a piece of dookie has been sold to, to customers that expected it to be functioning early access uh aside you know you, sh you should expect a certain amount of, of quality um it, Tony, have you uh, I have you re heard recently that there's rumors about early access finding its way to the uh, <laughs> to the console world? <laughs> I, I have. I honestly don't know how how popular I guess that will be on on consoles. I mean, I I honestly don't think it'll do that well. And knowing that, that means it probably will do just as well as it does on PC and Steam and all that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if I could add one other thing too. Um, Beyond the whole early access thing, the other thing that, I, and I didn't know if you were going to get to this or at all, but yeah. the other thing that kind of bothers me about indie games presently is that, um, you know, I think it's more or less becoming a fad at this point. You kind of said, you know, like it's it's being more embraced by, uh, uh, you know, AAA companies. And even you see like the PS4 when they were doing their, their uh, E3 conferences, they, you know, touted indies as like, you know, kind of like you said, the savior of yeah. the industry. And they just, they're, they're, they love it. And me personally, it's like it, when I first, like a few years ago, I heard, oh, this is an indie game or, you know, you, you recommended Deadlight and said it's an indie title. And I said, oh, OK, so that must mean there's something unique about it or something. But now you just hear, oh, here's this game that's being developed and it's an indie title. And I'm like, oh, OK, great. That yeah. that doesn't mean much to me anymore. And I feel yeah. like that's that's a bad thing because it's being like used. It is. It, it really is. And it, it's kind of sad to see that because it's. What's how's that any different than oh you hear about this game and it's a triple A title and it sounds like it'll suck and you know you might hear something that sounds like it might have sucked as a indie title but they actually made it work but now you just hear oh it's it's an indie title that means it's going to be good like no not necessarily hmm. oh yeah so. just yeah I mean Tony's right if you ever like peek on some of these indie title games I think ninety percent of them are either some variation of Minecraft or some <laughs> variation of Daisy yeah <laughs> yeah like, that's that's basically the extent of the uh, the indie games you know, in, in the great beyond. And so you actually now in the indie games have to sort of pick and choose. Like yeah. you have to see what floats to the top basically. Yeah. And I'm all for the, the marketplace, uh, you know, when in the good games winning out, but at the same time, <laughs> the, the customer has to be, to expect at least a little bit of protection from, from some games that are purely well, if, predatory in terms of what you know they're they're really just trying to rob people <laughs> steal yeah, people's right, money but that's happening because of 
oversaturation, I think, which is, yeah. again, as Greg said, which is what caused that crash. So, yeah. it, you know, the more you move towards oversaturation, I mean, you're kind of moving towards that, uh, you know, that infamous event that happened 20 or so years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. so I mean, I guess here's the question. I'm going to hijack your show, Jeff. Here's the question <laughs> is, all right, so you, you see it going towards it. This has happened before. Those of us who lived through it the first time are saying, yeah, this is exactly what it was going to be like. So what, how do you stop it without basically going out there and controlling the market yourself? Jeff? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I Like I said, I think, I think Steam has got a – is got a better quality control. Um, say say what you will about the triple A's, but they they at least have some level of customer. Well, I, who's to say whether the customer service is good or bad? But at least there are processes for things like refunds and for mm-hmm. PR and like some of these tiny companies that are ripping off people with their early access. Uh, you know, th- this guy could be living in the back of a panel van and you know he, he could pocket his early access money and never be heard from again you know he did, he's not beholden to anyone and steam doesn't seem to be doing much to uh to hold their feet to the fire either um i mean what it what does it take to get a game pulled off steam <laughs> like apparently quite a lot <laughs> it doesn't... i think an article in kotaku <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know to, uh, that there is an honest uh, answer. I mean, uh, I, I think it I think it helps that gamers are tweeting, talking about it, uh, shaming, naming and shaming, for lack of a better word. I think word of mouth helps a lot. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think it's the entire answer. And and uh, if, eventually it's going to put a dent in sales, you know, as people are just going to start being a bit more tight fisted. Uh, um, because they've been stung too many times. Um, it's, it's, it's going to happen more and more. I don't know that there is an easy answer there. Um, I might, I might ask before we get off completely off the crowdfunding, which you mentioned before, have either of you ever kickstart, like supported a Kickstarter Indiegogo for a, a game, uh, put, put like been a backer, so to speak? Not, I've backed projects, but not games. No, okay. I've, I've backed a Halo project, before, but, it wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't a game. No. <laughs> Uh, no, Jeff, I don't back anything where I don't get a return on my investment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, if it would look, I'd like to say that I'm as prudent as you are, but honestly, if it was the right, <laughs> if it was the right franchise from my youth or something, I was just, you know, slavering to see, I might do it. But yeah, I, I, I prefer to, uh, to get involved when things are a bit of a, um, sure bet. And that's not to say like, you know, broken age, that game looks brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. and that Tim Schafer game, the name that's escaping me now, I, I loved all the games that game guy made. Now that it's been funded, you can bet your bottom dollar I'll buy the damn thing, but I don't really like to be on on the ground floor <laughs> on this stuff. I, I'm I'm happy that people are getting funding for for this stuff. A lot a lot of these titles look really great, but uh, I don't know. I I, I think it would. Uh, I, I think I'd have to be a bit more assured of getting a return, as you say, on my investment to really uh, <laughs> to to really get behind that sort yeah. of stuff. I mean, generally, when you go get an investment from somebody, you have some accountability to that yeah. person. But and as we're seeing with Kickstarter now, is there really is no accountability? Like yeah. they can they can kind of just take that money and run. Yep. Do either and of you know that project- not going to do anything about it? No. Do either of you know that project that recently that game that they recently said, yeah, we received more than enough funding for it, but we can't make it now. Sorry. I mean, they are, are they said they were offering people games. 
Those yeah, other they games. were trying to. They they had all this money, but then they blew it, and they weren't really <laughs> managing it well. And then some other company, like kind of that they were also getting funding from, stopped. So they took whatever remaining money there was, and were just trying to give something back to the Kickstarters. But yeah, yeah so I don't remember the project, but I heard the story. Yeah, yeah, at least they tried. But again, like you said, there is no accountability on the case to Kickstarter. Yeah. You know, projects, yeah, they didn't have so. to try. They could have just closed their email accounts and walked away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's not like Kickstarter is going to chase them down. They're going to put a what a negative rating next to their account. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I the eBay probably does more to um, protect their um, users uh, oh, yeah. than Kickstarter does. Um, I will say something as a seller on eBay. eBay does a lot to protect their buyers. Yeah, yeah, and they've got you are as a seller. You almost have to give a pint of your blood just to prove <laughs> that you're a real person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that rating system really works, you know, like it, 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 it really, it, it really helps. Um, I might just, uh, I might just in closing say, ask the, an op- kind of an open-ended question G- given, given that we've all enjoyed indie titles and, you know, <laughs> we, you know, not everyone's got enough money lying around that they're just willing to throw down, um, triple a game money indiscriminately here and there. Is it, is it possible to just steer clear of big budget titles altogether? Like, if you wanted to be an indie purist, do you think that you'd be able to have a fulfilling gaming uh, ex- experience? Like, Greg, like, is it is it gotten that that rosy on the indie front that you could just, or are, th- are there still things in the AAA sphere that are tempting and, and enough that um, even if you you know ha- had a re- white hot hatred for all these companies, that you'd find yourself coming back? Could, can you? St- can you stay pure indie? Is there is it even possible? I'm sure there are people who do, and mm. I mean, there, for me, there are trip A games that I like to buy, and I'm not going to pigeonhole myself. Mm. You know, because if you want to play indie only, sometimes you're just doing it only so you can say that. Yeah, because there are good triple A games out there, and there's no reason to avoid them. But yeah, there's a ton of indie games out there right now, and if you're willing to sift through the crap and you know pick out the diamonds then there's plenty of hours of play to be had out there it's just the issue is there's ever more and more crap and fewer and fewer diamonds yeah yeah well tony i i i kind of i given your love for the likes of halo and your your new romance with uh with De- with destiny i i i think i already know what you're gonna say on the subject but um, what that I would say? No, that, that, that you disagree. <laughs> no, not, no, 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 not at all. I mean, I just don't, would I personally do it? No, but I mean, that's, but if you wanted to no, absolutely in today's world, so it's viable. It, oh, it's viable. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, with today, with, if you own modern hardware, modern platforms, PCs, 360 PS3, PS4, Xbox one, there are marketplaces there and you could absolutely do it. Hell, I know people that, you know, I have a, a friend of mine's brother who, you know, solely really only plays Minecraft nowadays. And that's all he plays. So, I mean, yeah, it's not a, a, you know, a wide variety of <laughs> indie games, but hell, he's playing soul indie. So, yeah, it's absolutely doable. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you were a, uh, a hardcore military first person shooter fan, you'd probably you'd probably miss out a bit on, <laughs> yeah. on the indie side. I mean, I'm sure there are if some you really wanted a good Batman game. I don't think you're going <laughs> to see that on the indie market. Yeah. 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 If you like licensed properties. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're going to be uh, narrowing your, your field of interest, but, um, but if are, you don't mind playing as your Xbox avatar, then I think <laughs> lots of shooters out there for you. <laughs> well, thanks guys. I, I think we, uh, I think we covered most of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I might just move along to our high score quiz, and as per usual, it is tied to the topic of indie games. And 
It's going to be related to Kickstarter, so get your thinking caps on. Oh, jeez, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just um, not an old question that I would have absolutely no you well, know, yeah. chance of answering. I, I, I think that you guys have got a good chance. Um, anyway, Star Citizen and Elite Dangerous, current, and this is current as of late July 2014, currently hold the number one and two positions, respectively, in amounts raised for video game campaigns on Kickstarter. Uh, in fact, Star Citizen is the most of anything on Kickstarter, let alone video game. As of late July 2014, which game holds the number three spot? And it's a choice of three. We have A, Torment, Tides of Numenera from the makers of Wasteland 2. We have B, uh, which we mentioned before, uh, Mighty Number no. 9 from the former creator of the Mega Man series. And uh, C is Double Fine Adventure, which is uh, also, I mentioned before, from Tim Schafer, the creator of uh, the classic uh, LucasArts games Full Throttle and Grim Fandango. I'll start with you, Greg. What which uh, what do you reckon is sitting in the number three spot of those uh, So I'm, I'm going to pick the one that I heard of. So that's Magic Hat number nine. Oh, my, Mighty Number Nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Mighty Number Nine. And how about you, Tony? What do you reckon it is? Torment Sides of Numenera, Mighty Number Nine, or Double Fine Adventure? Resisting the urge to pull up the internet and find the answer myself, I'm going to have to go with the, uh, uh, what is it? Double Double Fine? Double Mighty... Fine Adventure? Yeah. From Tim Schafer? Well, the answer, I'm afraid, is in fact A, the Torment Tides of Numenera. Uh... You, you do this shit on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He could just be saying. This is verifiable. Uh, there, there's a couple. I, I went to a couple lists, one on Wikipedia, another in a different resource, and then Kickstarter itself is obviously a good resource for this information. But yeah, it's actually fairly... Uh, the, the, the number four spot between Mighty Number no. 9 and Double Fine is, uh, is actually quite close. And there's another one in there. I think I mentioned before Broken Age that, it, that was at one point very high up on the list. But yeah, it is... Uh, I have to admit, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any um, connection, uh, knowledge of the new Monera stuff, or I, I never even played Wasteland. But uh, yeah, apparently uh, <laughs> a lot of backers um, because it's in the four million and up club. Uh, yeah, for, and, again, for a franchise that existed but was done, and now people yeah. see that there is demand out there for it. So good for yeah. them. I yeah, mean, and and the, you know what the thing that really impresses me is that they're setting really high goals. Some of these, like they're not just bursting through at a million and going like some of them are setting high goals and hitting them like wow um well i'll make my uh, quickly make my old school recommendation of the week uh and this was mentioned in passing earlier an old shareware title from back in the day uh and uh, and uh yeah i believe uh, apogee uh now called 3d realms i believe greg is, th yep. is th the same company the original uh 1991 duke nukem um which, believe it or not, as a shareware title, sold over seventy thousand copies. Are you uh, kidding me? For, like, we're talking old Duke Nukem, like yep. not three D. We're talking. Platformer. I'm talking the platformer, the one, wow. the one that, uh, the one that was uh, very similar, at least in gameplay. I found to the the first uh, Commander Keen. Yeah, that's, they were just basically. Yeah, 3D Realms has been ripping off id software. <laughs> hey, and they're shameless about it. Um, believe it or not, you can still go to 3D Realms and get that shareware version from their website to this day for that game, by the way. Now, it was a true platform shooter of the day. Uh, it had a sense of humor. Now, this was before Duke went completely over-the-top sexual content. Duke Nukem 3D is kind of where that happened. This was when, this is when Duke... 
you could have brought him home to meet your parents uh, before he was, you know, completely batshit crazy like he like he's gone in 3D and on. Not much in the way of controversial content in that game. It was just a he was a good clean fun. Yeah, I mean, he he was a bit of a blowhard as I recall and, you know, CIA this and save the world that, but it wasn't the um miscreant sort of uh um <laughs> Duke Nukem that uh, that they re uh, you know, kind of reinvented for the, for the 3D, uh, and which which obviously persists to this day with the abomination that was um, <laughs> Duke Nukem Forever. Um, and uh, yeah, speaking of vapor, vaporware, man, that's another topic we could do someday: is game, <laughs> games yeah. that never get made. Well, and sometimes um, maybe shouldn't have. And gotten. sometimes maybe shouldn't. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Look, uh, in all honesty, if if you if you hate Duke Nukem because of what it's like today, uh, if you like classic platformer shooters, it's actually a pretty good game. It was EGA, I believe, Greg, uh, twelve color or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever you define so, EGA yeah. is. But yeah, pretty good game. Uh, and for 1991, um, a, a very successful uh, shareware game. Like I, I was astounded when I read that seventy thousand. It just that's a that's a lot of floppies, Greg. That is that's a lot of floppies. <laughs> Um, and lastly, I'll just make a quick plug for Enthusiacs.com. Uh, Vega Goose is the man on Fridays at Enthusiacs. Uh, each Friday, Goose uh, grants us a movie review, video game review on our YouTube channel and embedded there on the site. Um, I believe uh, Fanboys, the uh, Star Wars film, was uh, one of his most recent efforts, and uh, dead, dead, I can't remember whether he did Dead or Alive, the video game, or the movie, or perhaps it was both. Movie. Was it the it movie? Was the yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I didn't like the game either, so he <laughs> 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 would have been a miss either way for me. But yeah, check out Goose. Um, you know, always, uh, always something interesting there on on Fridays. Uh, and yeah, if you want to see back uh, back reviews and things, check out our. Um, our YouTube channel, which is Enthusiacs. You can also find us, as I mentioned before, on Twitter at Enthusiacs. Uh, we've got a forum uh, on that you can find a, a link to under our social media tab on the main page at Enthusiacs.com. We'd be uh, happy to have you. Always great discussions going on there. And uh, Greg, keeping the peace as ever, vigilance. <laughs> we need him on that wall. Uh, we want him on that wall. Um <laughs> Uh, our email address for the podcast mailbag, uh, if you've got questions, feedbacks, feedback, or suggestions yeah. is point streak at enthusiacs.com. Um, by the way, uh, on the last, uh, on the last, um, podcast, I, I plugged, uh, hero talk. I forgot to mention Greg hero talk now has its own mailbag as well. Does it not? Yeah, we are hero talk at enthusiacs.com. Great. Um, well, look, thanks Greg. Thanks, Tony. Um, wanted to hit. Wanted to get to this topic before I, I knew that you two would have plenty to say about it. Um, look, we'll probably have to talk indie again at some point, or at least some related topic like early access, crowdfunding, greenlight, any of these other sort of ancillary things. That, or and QA. I know we touched on a bit of quality yeah. control, and I'm certain that we'll get to that <laughs> at some yeah. point in the future too. Uh, yeah. Look, indie games are are going to uh, be around for the foreseeable future. As long as Steam continues to thrive uh, and GOG and, and DRM exists, you're going to have these small, bite-sized, cheap games. Uh, and uh, we're, we're, we'll be here to talk about them. So thanks again, guys. Um, and join us again next time on Point Street. Thanks, guys. Yep, thank you. <laughs>